Welcome to the Confluence Investment Management Bi-Weekly Asset Allocation Report for March 4th, 2024. I'm Donna O'Donnell. In Confluence's regular quarterly update to its asset allocation strategies last October, the Investment Strategy Committee introduced into its mid-cap equity exposure an exchange-traded fund focused on uranium and uranium producers. The price of that ETF has surged since Confluence bought it, adding to the returns of the asset allocation portfolios to date. Chief Market Strategist Patrick Farron-Hernandez joins us today to help explain what drove Confluence to make this new investment and what it expects from it in the future. Patrick, it's interesting that there's an ETF focused on such a narrow group of miners. Is it common to find ETFs like this? Well, hi, Donna, and thanks for having me on the show. Regarding your question, yes, we're always discovering new ETFs that focus on increasingly narrow parts of the financial markets, from specific sectors and industries in the stock market to specific metals in the commodity markets. Of course, some newer or more obscure ETFs don't meet our criteria for liquidity, cost, and the like, but we're nevertheless frequently finding that there's an ETF available to achieve an exposure that we want. I'm intrigued. Can you tell us a little more about this ETF investment and why the Investment Strategy Committee was interested in it? Well, sure. The new ETF that we introduced into our mid-cap stock exposures in October is the Global X Uranium ETF with the symbol URA. About 90% of the fund is currently invested in various uranium miners around the world, while about 10% is in physical uranium. Of the miner exposure, about half is in Canadian firms and almost one quarter is in the well-known Canadian uranium miner Cameco. Besides Canada, most of the fund's equity exposure is in Australian, South Korean, and U.S. companies. Now, the thing that drove our interest in uranium is mostly the outlook for booming use of nuclear energy to generate electricity in the future. We think that means a lot of additional uranium ore is going to be needed. And given that uranium mines have been shut down in much of the world, we think supply will be slow to respond and prices will jump. So you're saying that the uranium market is out of balance and that demand far outweighs supplies. Why is that happening? Well, a lot of it can be traced to Chinese economic growth and government policies around the world that are encouraging the use of nuclear energy to generate electricity. If you count new nuclear generating stations currently being built, planned, or proposed, it looks like China alone will have almost 300 nuclear plants by 2040 versus only about 50 right now. Other countries are also building or planning to build lots of new nuclear plants. That's going to take a lot more uranium, which is the material that undergoes nuclear fission in these plants. The big issue is that over the last decade or more, uranium demand temporarily slid, putting downward pressure on prices. That forced a lot of miners with high production costs to shut down their mines. As a result, Kazakhstan, with its ultra-low production costs, is now the main uranium-producing country around the world. But as demand rises in price prices increase, miners in higher-cost countries like Australia and Canada should be able to respond by starting production again. Prices are already firming pretty strongly, so we think that scenario is actually playing out. But electric utilities aren't the only buyers of uranium, right? Isn't uranium used for a lot of other purposes, like medical and scientific research, and of course, nuclear weapons? 
You're right, there are certainly other uses for uranium. However, at least for now and likely far into the future, the main source of demand for uranium is generating electricity. In 2023, the World Nuclear Association estimated that total mine demand for uranium was about 65,000 tons. Now, we've been doing some preliminary work to estimate the incremental uranium demand that could arise if the world goes into a global nuclear arms race, which we think is a possibility as U.S.-China tensions lead to more global fracturing. In a worst-case scenario, our preliminary estimates are that annual uranium demand for weaponry might amount to 10% or more additional uranium demand over and above generation demand. However, we're still trying to firm up those estimates. So with the expected growth in nuclear energy for electricity production and other uses, prices have been rising. Tell us more about the recent trends in uranium prices. As with many commodities, spot uranium prices spiked ahead of the great financial crisis, reaching about $137 per pound in 2007. In the big economic slowdown after that, prices began to slide. Prices were especially hurt by the Fukushima accident in Japan in 2011, which led to the Japanese government shutting down the country's big fleet of nuclear generating stations. Political pressure against nuclear energy also began to build elsewhere elsewhere, such as in Europe. Even where nuclear plants weren't shut down for policy reasons, some plants were retired. Uranium prices therefore slid to as low as $12 per pound in 2016 and stayed below $35 per pound into 2021. Then, however, the impending demand and supply disparity really started to get investors' attention. Spot prices rose to about $50 per pound in much of 2022 and have recently spiked to more than $100 per pound. Now, it's important to remember that electric utilities need to lock in their fuel supplies for a long term, so most uranium is sold under multi-year contracts. That means uranium producers aren't yet seeing the full benefit of today's strong spot prices. Nevertheless, we think the longer-term prices will rise over time, providing a big benefit to the miners. If uranium prices are currently high, shouldn't we expect mining companies to ramp up production and eventually bring prices down again? Well, that certainly is a risk. After all, as I just mentioned, the prices uh, crashed pretty dramatically over the decade to 2016. All the same, the expected build-out of nuclear generating plants versus the availability of low-cost uranium ore is pretty stark. And importantly, remember our thesis that U.S.-China tensions are likely to keep fracturing the world into relatively separate geopolitical and economic blocks. One aspect of that is that China could well pressure the members of its bloc, including major producers like Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan, to curtail shipments to the West, and then keep in mind the possible incremental demand that would come from an expansion of nuclear arsenals, which would likely depend on secure uranium supplies from the U.S. bloc. We think the balance of risk, therefore, remains in favor of higher uranium prices and good profits for uranium miners going forward. In your report, you mentioned that most uranium used in electricity generation these days comes from Kazakhstan. Why is that? And what are some of the other top producers? Well, the key for Kazakhstan is that it has such low-cost production. That means it can make money even at the low prices that prevailed until very recently. Besides, its proximity to China and Russia may be helping it supply those markets. The other top producers these days also include Uzbekistan and Russia. 
If geopolitical tensions lead to a cutoff in uranium supplies from the countries in China's geopolitical bloc, what will happen? Well, that's the interesting thing. We think the loss of that supply would drive up uranium spot prices in the U.S. bloc, where the cost of production is relatively higher. Those higher prices would then allow producers within the U.S. bloc, such as Australia and Canada, to reopen and expand their mines profitably. That's a key reason why we think it makes sense to start building a position in an ETF like the Global X one that we went into. It has lots of exposure to the uranium miners that would likely benefit from such a scenario. So if the China block cut off supplies in the future, where would the U.S. electric utility industry get its uranium from? Well, we suspect the Canadian and Australian miners would be in the pole position to supply the U.S. market. But U.S. mines also could be reopened and expanded. Finally, Patrick, you mentioned that this ETF was bought in Confluence's popular asset allocation portfolios. Does Confluence have other portfolios that also hold this ETF or otherwise invest in uranium? Well, that's a great question, Donna. I'm not sure whether it's widely known, but we do have a global hard assets fund that invests in a wide range of natural resource producers. The fund doesn't invest in the Global X Uranium ETF, but it does currently have exposure to uranium miners, along with a wide range of companies producing other commodities, such as gold miners and oil companies. I sit on the investment committee for the hard assets fund, and I can assure you that we're watching closely for more uranium exposure in that fund as well. Thank you, Patrick. Our discussion today is based on sources and data believed to be accurate and reliable. Opinions and forward-looking statements expressed are subject to change without notice. This information does not constitute a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security. Our engineer is Dane Stoll. I'm Donna O'Donnell.